Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Matthew, chapter 1. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Internal evidence means that which is written in the Bible. You have external evidence, which would be historical writings from other church fathers, but internal evidence would be that which is written in the Bible, that which answers who, what, when, where, and why that is in the text. And from internal evidence, it all points to the fact that Matthew wrote this book. Matthew's gospel talks about more about the records of coinage more than any other gospel. Which makes sense because that's what tax collectors would be concerned about. Matthew names three different kinds of coins in this book. Matthew talks about his own decision to follow the Lord. We just read it in Matthew chapter 9. So I believe that Matthew is written by Matthew. Matthew is a Jew who is writing to the Jews about the king of the Jews. And I don't know about you, but as you read the book, you cannot miss the fact that Matthew wrote Matthew. It is so good, so freeing for me that I can just read the Bible and what it says, it says Matthew wrote it. And that's a done deal. Hello. No need to challenge that. Matthew wrote the gospel of Matthew. Now, here are some facts. Interesting, I think, about the book of Matthew that will help you to understand this book. It's a very Jewish book. There are 125 quotations and allusions to the Old Testament in the Gospel of Matthew. There are 37 passages that begin with that it might be fulfilled, which is to show how Jesus fulfills all the messianic prophecies of the Old Testament. Here are some key words in the book of Matthew. The word kingdom is used 54 times. 119 times in the Gospels, in all four Gospels, and 150 times in the New Testament. So over a third of the mention of the word kingdom is in the Gospel of Matthew. The kingdom of heaven is used only 34 times in the entire Bible, and 32 of them are found in the Gospel of Matthew. The kingdom of God is used five times in Matthew. King is used 19 times The name of Jesus appears 170 times in the Gospel of Matthew. Don't you just love that? This book is about Jesus. So the whole book, this whole book is about the Messianic kingdom, Jesus Christ, which makes, by the way, the Gospel of Matthew, listen, a great bridge builder from the Old Testament. The last book of the Old Testament is the book of Malachi. If you're Italian, it's Malachi, Malachi, (laughs) great bridge builder into the New Testament. So Matthew about the kingdom, the messianic kingdom. Now, if a man suddenly showed up, listen, if a man suddenly showed up and he says, hey, I'm the Messiah. 
I'm the promised Messiah. Any Jew would immediately say, prove it. What's your credentials? What's your background? And so Matthew opened his book with a careful account of genealogy. I want to give you a simple outline. If you're a note taker, we're going to look at verses 1 through 16. And I'm going to give you just a simple outline of this section, a three-section outline here. This section presents Jesus, number one, as the son of David. You might want to add royally. Presents Jesus as the son of David royally. And then secondly, this section proclaims Jesus as the promised seed of Abraham, racially. You might want to add that. And then last but certainly not least, this section pictures God's love and grace for all people. Presents Jesus as the son of David royally, proclaims Jesus as the promised seed of Abraham racially, and pictures God's love and grace for all people. Notice in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Saints, if you're there, say amen. Amen. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, stop right there. Give me your attention. Gotta be honest with you. When I first read the genealogies, and I had to read them because I had to study them. When I first read them, they, this genealogy, and there's actually another, we'll talk about it in a second, in Luke chapter 3. But when I first read the genealogy, I got to tell you, it was about as exciting as reading a phone book. Boring. It was awful. As a matter of fact, when I was reading it, I, absolutely, I thought about graduation. You know, graduation's coming up, May and June, and I get a lot of invitations to graduations, and I always go to them. But I got to say that a lot of graduations, you would agree, are boring, I mean, you kind of sit there, and they're calling off the names, and you don't know any of these people. They have 300 names before they get to one person you know. You know how that goes. And you're sitting there, and you're like, ah, yada-da-da-da, boring, yada-da, thinking what you're going to do when you get out, what you're going to do tomorrow, and you're going through all the names until they give you, say, a name that you know. And then you go, yeah, man, that's right, yeah, all right, man, all right. Then they go back over names you don't know, and you're like, yada 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 boring. And I thought to myself, I'm reading this, and I'm going, man, this reminds me of being at a graduation. I mean, it's just kind of boring. And so I thought, Lord, I cannot do that to them. We are not going to read the whole chapter. What I want to do is to just draw from this list the names that are important to us today. Notice in verse 1, again in your Bibles, it's the book or the record of genealogy of Jesus Christ the son of David. In other words, Jesus is the son of David royally. Now you might remember, it's in 2 Samuel chapter 7. If you're taking notes, write that down. David told his buddy Nathan, the prophet, that he wanted to build God a house to live in. And Nathan said, cool, go do it. Go do what's in your heart to do. But it was in that night that God spoke to Nathan and said, Nathan, David can't build me a temple because his hands are full of blood. He's a man of war, not a man of peace. But then God said to Nathan to go and tell David in 2 Samuel 7, 11, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed, notice singular, after you, who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. 
I will be his father and he shall be my son. And then in verse 16, if you fast forward in that same chapter, and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. So God says to David, David, I'm going to build you a house and your seed will sit on the throne forever. And from that promise there in 2 Samuel, from that promise, David understood the Messiah would come through the genealogy of David. Now, it's very interesting if you, there's a play on words in this text. David says, listen, David says, God, David says, God, I want to build you a house, a building to live in. And God says, no, David, you're a man of war. You can't build me a house, but I will build you a house. God is talking about a dynasty, a genealogy, a lineage of the Messiah to come and to rule and to reign in his kingdom. So there's a play on words there. And, you know, I read that and I thought to myself, isn't it great to know that when God says to you, listen, when God says to you, one door is shut, you know, he's opening up another door, which is bigger and even better. You can't even imagine. David, you can't build me a house, but I will build you a house. And then that chapter goes on to say that David, in response to God saying, I'm going to build a dynasty through you, David. David goes on to say, wow. Whoa, I, I have no words, he said. Now think about it. David has never lacked words. He wrote the Psalms. David was poetic. David was prophetic. David never lacked words. But here he says, God, this is so awesome. This is so amazing. It blows me away. God says, you can't build me a house. I'll build you a house. Now, listen, very important that you turn your brains on right now. There are two genealogies listed in the New Testament. We find one here in Matthew chapter 1, and then we find the other in Luke chapter 3. And as you read them, you will see that there are some differences in the genealogy. Matthew's genealogy traces the line of Joseph back to David through Solomon. Very important. In Luke, it's the genealogy of Christ through Mary back to Adam, going through David, and not through Solomon, but through his other son, Nathan. So Mary is also of the tribe of Judah and a descendant of David, but not through Solomon. She's a descendant of David through Nathan and his line. Here in Matthew, Joseph is a descendant of David, an heir to the throne in Israel. Now, that presents a little problem. What's the problem, Rodney? Well, because Joseph's line goes back through the kings of Israel to a king by the name of Jeconiah. Now, in Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 30, the Lord cursed the descendants of Jeconiah and said, none of his seed would sit on the throne forever. So the line that came through Solomon, listen, was not allowed to sit on the throne because of Jeconiah's sin. So if Jesus was the son of Joseph, he couldn't reign as the Messiah because of the curse in Jeremiah 22 that no line from Jeconiah would be able to sit on a throne if Jesus were the son of Joseph. Well, here's the answer to the problem. It's not very difficult. 
we know. Look at verse 16 in your Bibles. Jesus is not the son of Joseph. Notice in verse 16. And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. Notice it doesn't say Joseph was the father of Jesus. He isn't the father of Jesus. Joseph is the foster father of Jesus or the stepfather of Jesus. So then in that case, because Joseph is actually the husband of Mary, Jesus being the son of David through Nathan, through Mary, gives Jesus the right to sit on the throne as the Messiah. Very, very interesting. Our second point, got to move on. This section proclaims Jesus as the promised seed of Abraham. Jesus is also the Messiah racially to the Jews because he's a son of Abraham. Genesis chapter 22, verse 16 through 18. Now Abraham is offering up Isaac. You know the story. And the angel of the Lord is calling. and He said, by myself, I have sworn, says the Lord. Because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessings I will bless you, Abraham, and multiply, and I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, notice singular, all the nations, the goim, the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because you have obeyed my voice. And then again in Galatians chapter 3 verse 16. Now to Abraham and his singular seed were the promises made. He does not say into seeds of as of many, but as of one. And to your seed who is Christ. Racially, Jesus was a Jew, a son of Abraham, and royally, he was a son of David. So anyone who would seek to claim to be the Messiah would have to prove that they were a descendant of David and of the seed, the promised seed of Abraham. And this is why Jesus stood on the mountain and he wept over the people because they, he said, you have missed your day of visitation. Why? They missed Jesus, when he came riding into Jerusalem on the donkey, they didn't know who he was. Why? Because they weren't reading their Bibles. Why? Because if they had been reading their Bibles, they would have known all the promises and all the prophecies concerning Jesus Christ. Just take a look. He is the one who is of the son of David. He is the promised seed of Abraham. They would have known that he was the Christ. They did not know. And that's why Jesus wept over Jerusalem. And he said, you missed it. Guys, you missed it. You should have seen it. The Bible said it. The Bible was clear. But they missed their day of visitation. Our last point. This section pictures God's love for all people. I want you to look at your Bibles again. Look there in verse 3. Judah beget Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Circle that. Circle her name. Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. Look at verse 5. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Circle her name. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Circle her name. And then in verse 6. Jesse begot David the king. 
David the king begot Solomon by her whom by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Who's that, saints? Bathsheba. Very good. Now, any Jew, listen, any Jewish man reading this genealogy and seeing these women's name listed in the genealogies would freak out. It would blow his mind. You see, in the genealogical records, women's names were never recorded. Here they are recorded. Women were considered a lower class in the ancient days. As a matter of fact, the rabbis would pray this prayer every day. God, I thank you that I am not born a Gentile, a dog, or a woman. Now, the rabbis prayed that prayer. I would never say that. I'm, you know, don't shoot the messenger, all right? I'm just, just telling you. But women were seen as a lower class. It was a male-dominated society. Now, these women, these four women's names are recorded. These are not just ordinary women. If there was ever a group of women who could show that Jesus came to save sinners, it would be these women. Three out of four of them have a really bad reputation. Tamar, Genesis chapter 38, you know the story. Tamar, she was married to two of Judah's sons. And she married the first boy, and he died. She married the second son, and he died. And Judah's thinking, man, this woman is a black widow. I mean, we don't, we don't, I don't want to give him my third son. And so he didn't. Tamar wanted to marry the third son to perpetuate the family line. Judah refused. So then Judah takes a business trip to Timnah to visit with some sheep herders. And Tamar, she concocts a plan. She's veiled and she poses herself as a prostitute. Okay, this is an adult Bible study, all right? She poses herself as a prostitute and she meets Judah and she talks him into performing the act. And Judah forgot his wallet. So she said to Judah, she said, give me your ring and your rod. Judah gave her the ring and the rod. And so she gets back to town, Judah goes home. Judah hears that Tamar was posing as a prostitute. He didn't know who she was because they were veiled. All he could see was probably just her eyes. He never saw anything. He never had a clue that this was his daughter-in-law. But she got pregnant. They got back to town. The people say, Judah, Tamar is pregnant and was posing as a prostitute. What do you think we ought to do about it? And Judah, you know how self-righteous we are, y'all. Judah said, well, let's just stone her. Let's burn her. And so she comes out and she's standing before Judah. And she says, Judah, do you recognize this ring? And this staff, what I wouldn't have done to been there, y'all. He didn't know what to say. But you know what he said? He said, you were more righteous than I was. And he pronounced blessings on her. Tamar, she posed as a prostitute, and her name is recorded in the Messianic line. 
Well, then take Rahab. Oh, you know that story. Or, uh, yeah, Rahab, that's right. You know that story. You remember she was also a harlot and a prostitute who helped the spies when they came into Jericho. You know that story. And then Ruth. Ruth was a Moabitess, and she was a Gentile and racially impure. And then the story of Bathsheba, as one day she decides to take a bath out on the porch, which what were you thinking? But she takes a bath out on the porch and David is hanging out. He goes out, takes a stroll, probably with a lemonade, hot day, looks across the way. He sees Bathsheba over there taking a bath and he said, Foxy Mama. And so bring her to me. And they bring Bathsheba to him and he's David, the king, the man after God's own heart. He sleeps with Bathsheba. He gets her pregnant. You got to do something. I'm the king. I can't have people pregnant. He has Uriah the Hittite killed and trying to cover up for his sin. And so we got the story of Bathsheba. So these women, all of these women make for a good soap opera. We have prostitution, incest, idolatry, adultery, and God puts their names in the messianic line. What's up with that? Well, I think it tells us simply is this. Where sin abounds, grace did much more abound. Amen, saints? Where sin abounds, grace did much more abound. You see, nobody is beyond being used of God. How many people have said to me, as a pastor, I talked to people just a couple of weeks ago. I had a couple in my office, and they said, Pastor, we want to serve God, but, but we don't think we can because of our family and because of situations that are going on in our family. And I said, look, if that be the case, then we all better get out of ministry and serving God because we all have a few nuts in the family tree. Y'all have to say amen. I know you're in church and you're holy and everything. That's all right. But the truth is we all have some nuts in our family tree. But where sin abounds, grace did much more abound. You see, and God is using, God can use anyone at any time, in any place, because he is God and he is the God of grace, always showing grace. Grace is unmerited favor. God just pours out grace on people because he is God. And this also, this genealogy and these four sordid women, if you will, also tells us that this book is really God-breathed. I mean, think about it. If you were recording your family and your genealogy, would you ever put people's names in there that weren't of the purest aristocratic background? Would you ever? Of course not. No one would. And so we know that this book is God-breathed. We know that Jesus didn't come from the purest of background, and that's why he can relate to sinners like you and me. And God is saying through these women, you cannot fall so low that God can't raise you up and then use you for his glory. The king can make the poorest peasant a prominent princess or prince. And so to sum up this genealogy, it's marked by gross sin Abraham, Judah, David, blatant idolatry, captivity in Egypt, captivity in Babylon, a series of flawed kings, and yet God's plan is carried out to completion. It's almost like God is saying the famine in Egypt couldn't starve my plan. 400 years of slavery in Egypt, 
and another 70 in Babylonian captivity couldn't shackle my plan. Murder, corruption, idolatry cannot stop my plan because God says, I'm sending my son to die for the world and someday he will rule and he will reign as the promised Messiah on the throne of Israel. He is the son of David. He is the promised seed of Abraham. And for that, we can give thanks because we know that he is who he said he was. He is God, and as we talked about last week, able to do what he says he's able to do. And what is that? To show grace to you and me. If you need forgiveness, God has that for you. God wants to pour out forgiveness. Where sin abounds, grace always abounds. And all you have to do is call out to him and say, Father, forgive me. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.